Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Superpowers Podcast. Our show is simple. Tell stories from the trenches, understand our guest journeys and what leads to their success. And ideally, we unearth their unique superpowers. Everyone has a superpower. What's yours? Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Superpowers Podcast. We're doing a new weekly series, In the Trenches, CTV In the Trenches. I'm going to be doing this with my partner, Matt, who is on the show with us today. We're going to be doing this every week. Hope that you like it. This week, we're going to kick right off. At the end of last year, Matt and I put together our predictions for 2022. We've been doing this for several years together, get some great coverage. And last year, we we shared it uh, in our newsletter in December. And we want to talk a little bit about these predictions together, agree and disagree on some of these, see how some of these sort of uh, come to fruition. So first of all, Matt, um, unfortunately, we have to look at each other again. It's just a different sort of nature of why we're talking to each other. But here we are once again. I uh, just trying to hide my, uh, my disdain for having to continue to look at you, Chris. Yes. So there's the truth. A lot of you guys have, you know, probably seen me a little bit more front and center with C2V over the years and particularly with the podcast. but make no mistake about it there is a very strong partnership here and and i'm lucky to have matt on the team over the last four years so now we're going to kick off so matt we got 10 predictions what are your kind of top two or three here i mean you know it's funny when i look at these predictions i almost feel like we sound super negative like the world's going to turn upside down on this and there's going to be a stock market crash here and and VCs, this, that. Are, I don't really consider us generally negative people, but what do you think if you had to kind of lay down the line right now, where do you feel strongly your sort of top two, three predictions for 22? I guess what you would consider to be potentially negative, actually, this is a prediction we made last year that did not come true. And so we we modified it this year. We said that the giant bubble in, in tech and late stage venture would pop or this year, that's what we said last year. This year we said that, or it will see folks kick the can down the road and delay that day. Obviously, the more that that day is of sort of a valuation reckoning is delayed, the worse the unwinding will be. So I, I'm almost rooting for something of a correction this year, just so that it's not quite as messy when it happens. I'm not sure we'd I necessarily say that that's negative. This isn't something we've been calling for for years now it's just that there's excess everywhere late stage venture and kind of the public tech markets so how do you think that impacts maybe people in our community founders other folks in venture depending on the stage how do you think these things sort of on a macro impact and and how should people think about it if these things actually do happen yeah it's interesting so typically these things start obviously in the public markets because the public markets will always react more quickly. And there are a number of sort of underlying phenomena that make public sell-offs accelerate much more quickly. There's leverage involved. There's also the fact that with so many institutional investors, both you know, pensions, endowments, those types that are, that are in public markets and also in private funds, but also now there's so many hedge fund managers that are doing hybrids of public and private. Whenever they start to worry about performance, they can't sell out of their private holdings, obviously in any kind of quick timeframe so that they'll end up selling the liquid assets instead, and that will accelerate sell-offs. 
what I would expect to see here is that the immediate impact in the venture space, that will be a very late stage first, because those folks, number one, that's really where the excesses of betting ventures in the late stage, the most extreme excesses in terms of both institutional money pouring into very large, very late stage venture funds. And also those funds at this point, especially some of the larger ones, Tiger, Andreessen and others excel almost indiscriminately firing huge checks at every company that, that comes to market and then counting, I, I presume counting on being able to flip those into IPOs in a relatively short time frame, obviously at a positive return, they've been paying extreme valuations, becoming more extreme almost uh, daily as we've gone over through the last, I don't know, call it three to five years. But, but it's been working so far because the public markets have accepted even higher valuations for IPOs, whether those companies perform well after the IPO or not, they're at least, you know, the venture folks are at least getting positive returns on their exits. The minute that the public markets deteriorate to where they no longer can realize positive returns based on the valuations they're holding these companies at, they probably try to rush a few more out there, but ultimately in any case will end up having to freeze their funding and wait for the markets to come back. Matt, I got to ask you only because one of our predictions was the SPAC death toll rises. So how, how should we think about that prediction weaving into your, your kind of macro? Listen, I mean, with those companies all being, you know, sort of, I guess, despacking. So the post. Did you just make that up? Did you say despacking? No, you can Google it. That's a oh, okay. thing. Okay. So yeah, for the folks that are not as familiar with a SPAC, you issue basically a blank check company, you IPO a blank check company that's basically raising money in private and public markets on the basis of investors' confidence in the manager's ability to go find a good acquisition to use the cash that's raised. When they find the acquisition and they close the merger, so basically the SPAC merges, invests that cash into a private company which merges with the SPAC and then that's where the DSPAC happens. So basically the, what used to be a private company now starts publicly trading under the same, they changed the ticker in the name, but it's under the same company, public company structure. So post DSPAC, these companies are publicly traded tech companies now. So if, it, if there's a broad tech market sell-off, they'll hundred percent of them will get caught in it. I think the ones that were sort of flimsy to begin with, and there were quite a few of them in terms of the you know, underlying value prop of the company that was, that was bought by the SPAC, those will get hit by the artists by, by quite a bit. I also think you'll see, you'll see a lot of SPACs that have announced a merger, but haven't closed yet actually fail to be able to close because SPACs also have a unique feature where once a merger is announced, but prior to it closing, investors actually can redeem their, their shares in the SPAC at what they originally paid for them. So what does that mean? So typically a SPAC issues shares at $10 per share. Yep. When a SPAC IPOs, the investors, they buy into that at $10 or, or they may have bought into it after it started trading, could be higher than 10, it could be lower, but after a merger is announced, but before it is formally closed, there's a shareholder vote on the merger and shareholders who, sorry, they can actually vote for the merger and still redeem, but basically the shareholders in the SPAC are given the chance to actually sell their shares back at the, at the $10 price. And if enough of them opt for that option, the SPAC won't have 
the money that they thought to put into the merger. So that could sub. So, so, so essentially investors can exit out prior to it actually closing. Right. Right. Okay. So if enough, if enough investors in a particular spec exit and that leaves not enough funding to actually make the merger make sense, the merger will fall apart. So yeah. well, I, I would guess that we'll see a lot of that for anything that where there's a merger announced, but the acquisition has not closed yet as well. And then in terms of once the late stage gets hit, that will eventually trickle down to earlier stages. I doubt it gets at least not in the short term, I don't think it would get as far down as series A and maybe even sort of the smaller side of B because you've got a lot of funds in that space that, you know, have, have been still sort of more rationally investing in, in companies and who are actually have been getting squeezed out of some deals that they would otherwise have done because some of these bigger funds are so big that there just literally aren't enough series C, whatever, series D transactions to even deploy, deploy their money and at the pace that they want to deploy it. So they've been dipping lower and lower. When that stops, that'll actually free up some of the more traditional A and B funds to actually continue doing what they had been doing before everything went crazy. So I'd suspect that they will continue, you know, you, you might see a little bit of, you might see valuations in those, that range come back to where more towards their historical norms, but you know, that's still, I think that market will still be functional for a while. And certainly we won't see any effect. I don't think whatsoever in the early stage, because we haven't seen any of the effect of the uh, inflation of the, but, but naturally it's in our best interest, given that you and I run early stage venture firms to not spook anyone out anyway. And clearly, since we're creating this content, we're definitely not going to, we would, that'd be true. We are talking our own book here, <laughs> but don't take our word for it. Go look at uh, yeah, Pitchbook, NVCA, Venture Monitor. They do quarterly. Just go look at the median valuation by stage, and you'll see that seed pre-seed market has barely moved in the last you know five six years, while everything else has gone straight up. So I know that, Matt. I'm just, I'm I'm just making sure for our, any listeners that we're calling ourselves out. But I uh, obviously I'm with you on this. Some other so so some other ones, right? The NFT craze cools down, feelings get hurt, money is lost, market corrects itself. I think we both agree that, you know, in, in even previous categories, whether it, it's it's blockchain or or crypto, it just takes, I think our general sentiment here is it takes time for any market to sort of mature and anything that sort of feels like a gold rush generally uh, does not materialize where everyone sort of, you know, wins in the end. I'll kind of rattle off a few more and then you can pick a couple more that you like. Industry verticals that support a healthy earth continue to gain traction. I actually think the prediction that investment verticals that support a, a better uh, stewardship of the environment will continue to grow or, or outperform. I think that's an incredibly optimistic and positive outlook. I, I, I yep. think it's true as well. We're certainly seeing a lot of environmentally friendly impact type funds get a lot of support in the institutional space and a lot of great new technology that's actually a lot more economically feasible than it was even five years ago, never mind 10 or 20 years ago. Businesses that can actually stand up for them, you know, on their own without lots of investor or government support. We're seeing a lot of growth there. And that's obviously a, a very positive for all of us, I think. I think that is important to call it some of the positive things. So Matt, we're not going to talk about Mac Jones becoming the first rookie quarterback to win the Super Bowl after. Well, unfortunately, that 
that prediction fell apart on us pretty quickly the last couple that, of that, the last couple of weekends that probably fell through so let let's look at one or two more here and i'm going to reference where people can I, I think we can see one more, maybe, Chris. The stagnant wages, disgruntled employees, and, and post-pandemic labor shortages accelerating old economies' adoption of productivity enhancement. Okay, wh why dig, dig, dig into that a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. So if you look broadly at labor productivity in the U.S. over the past 5, 10, and even 20 years, it's dramatically slowed down, even ground to a halt, even gone negative in certain sectors. So overall, it's it's really struggled. If you go sector by sector, there are some where it's flat to negative for two decades. So there has been a bit of a transformation or, or a bit of an awakening, I guess, into the idea that companies really need to find tech solutions to sort of enhance this. We've actually seen and we've talked to in the course of our, our diligence, as you know, folks who now are, are in roles at uh, very old economies. So think, you know, big commercial construction firms that actually uh, have a person hired as their chief technology officer mm -hmm. or chief innovation officer, whose entire job is to go out there and canvas the market looking for new uh, software and robotics solutions to enhance, you know, certain features. That's actually accelerated dramatically throughout the pandemic as well, because now a lot of these companies are, are suffering from labor shortages or are seeing inflation sort of driven by, I guess, the supply chain at, at its sort of root core, the, the supply chain disruptions have driven up prices. So now you're seeing uh, price inflation, but you're also now seeing um, wage inflation as well as it's harder and harder to entice people back into these really unappealing jobs, right? If people are going to do these unappealing jobs, they, they want to be paid more for them. And the only way that profitability is protected here is, is enhancing productivity, basically the output per, per worker. So, you know, we'd expect uh, to see that, that sort of awakening in, in the, the old economy really kick into high gear. I, we frankly have already started to see that, but no end in sight to, to how far that can go. What are some categories or verticals that our listeners could consider or kind of think of in this particular prediction? Yeah, so so we're seeing a lot of obviously insurance tech. We ourselves um, have an investment, obviously, in coffee, a commercial trucking insurance company, looking at that market specifically. And sort of shocking, shockingly so when you dig into the insurance market, given that they've always seemed like the most sort of data-based and coldly rational mathematical assessments of risk and how much to charge for premiums so that they make money net of claims. Commercial trucking insurance, the industry has lost money every year for the last, I think, 11 or 12 years now. Mm -hmm. Staggering and, and, and has been raising premiums double digits, if not 20, 30% per year over that time because they, they just couldn't figure out why they weren't making money and just kept raising premiums, which is obviously not a sustainable practice had driven a bunch of their customers out of business in the process. So copy came in, basically took a, a fresh look at how, how you underwrite and what data matters, built their own data set to support that, you know, machine learning on top of it. And then has basically created a, a brand new underwriting model that uh, is substantially more profitable at even with 25, 30% discounts. You're seeing that across the whole space though. You're seeing that I think in every facet of, of the insurance sector, we're also seeing Things like, you know, airline revenue management, trying to get the maximum dollars per seat using all available data, whereas companies previously, airlines 
knew that they, there was more data out there that impacted supply and demand for flights on different routes at different times a year, but didn't have a, a way to really analyze it other than offline spreadsheets where you get, um, you get results that aren't as reliable and you spend a significant more, significantly larger amount of employee time. So we've seen companies come into that space to, uh, build software platforms that can actually take in data from basically anywhere and use it in a comprehensive model to better price flights. We're seeing a lot of, you know, back to sort of troubles in hiring. We're seeing a lot of the sort so-called 3Ds, dirty, dull, dangerous mm -hmm. occupations. A vertical that we like a lot. Yes. That are ripe for replacement by robots. That Again, that was happening pre-pandemic. We're seeing it accelerate now because it, there used to be labor issues with lots of turnover and, and, you know, having to pay a lot for jobs that were low skilled, but either high risk or just very unappealing. And so you had to pay more for the labor there. We're seeing, you know, that accelerate as well now where people just won't even take those jobs in the first place. Yeah, those are some examples. There are a lot more, but. Well, listen, Matt, you know, so first of all, to find these predictions, you can check out C2 Ventures in the Trenches newsletter. This was released in December. You can find it on our website at c2ventures.co. I believe Ali Watch has also published it. But if you want to look back at previous year's predictions, I'm going to quickly wrap up uh, this conversation by just calling out, you know, 21, right? Because we can't get any credibility on 22 predictions unless we call out 21. Here we go. Rapid fire. 21, we'll see a mega bubble burst in 21. Matt, we failed there, correct? Yes, we did. Okay. Mass consolidation of large media tech companies and those startups that could not get funded 20 in 20 that lacked product. Absolutely nailed this. More M&A activity, I believe, than uh, that we've seen last year than, than any other year combined. The number three, masterclass meets next generation mentorship platforms to support dispersed tech and founder community. You and I have definitely seen a lot of different companies trying to support a uh, remote workforce. I think if we had the underlining theme around that, we could have gotten this right, but I'd say we got this wrong. Do we agree? Yes. Okay. All aspects of insurance, home life, and auto get challenged by new players, you know, off the heels of modern AI, machine learning. I think that's happening. That's what we just talked about. Yeah. That's what we just talked about. Um, did somebody say 5G? I think we call that a year too early. I'd give that like, I think we're like a B minus C plus, meaning I think we we got it right, but I don't think it materialized last year. Yeah, it could could be two years early too. I, I because the you know as it turns out, the challenge in building out the infrastructure needed there, both the challenge and really the capital, you know, capital and time to build that out is is more substantial, I think, than we uh, than we really appreciated. The robots are coming. We are definitely uh, believers in the robotic industry and invest in the robotic space. Definitely seeing uh, significant headlines with funding across the board. There, I'm going to give us that. That's a generous one, but. Who's going to challenge us? Uh, did you hear that? Voice commerce is knocking on your door and probably already heading inside your house. Um, was last year the year of, or the start of voice? Well, you know, it, it's been around maybe even a little bit before that, but it's certainly the, the growth has has sped up quite a bit. I, I think the, the largest e-commerce retailers are really, I think, starting to to grasp that this is where things are headed, even off you know, people are going, going to start shopping less on their phones and more with their, their digital home assistants. So, so yeah, I, I do think we're seeing that, that market, it's still early and it's got a very, very long way to go. So I think we could probably predict that every year for, 
All right, well, let's do that and let's see if any, see if anyone notices. AR, VR, XR adoption of brands and advertisers continue to be slow. A hundred percent. I'm a strong sort of believer on this particular one. The hype around VR and AR, even when Facebook bought Oculus and, and sort of this craze started five, six years ago, there really just seems to be a very small niche of people that enjoy this in particular in the gaming category. Certainly don't see it kind of go mainstream. In particular, I think it's really hard for brands to quantify spend around it. Consumers taking back their privacy rights. I, I think that's happening. I mean, maybe with the blue bar through through Apple's new release, I think people are way more curious, concerned, and interested in regards to their privacy and where their data is going. Was last year the year that that kicked off? Yes, I think you'd have to say that because the, it was finally the year when the dominant device actually allowed people to tell the apps not to track them outside of their apps. And then this last one, maybe we were just drinking that day and could, or just tired or bored. Finally, COVID-19 will force the increased use of and acceptance of surveillance technology. I, 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 I don't know. Big, big fail there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where we were going with this one. Well, I, I think we, I think we, Maybe, maybe we were more hopeful. Maybe we hoped that people would care enough. It turns out that Americans would rather not be told what to do than just about anything else. Regards so, to so there you have it, folks. We're, we're honest and we're genuine in regards to our, our predictions. I'll give us kind of a B minus B-ish. We're excited to see how these 22 predictions come about. So Matt, thanks for jumping on. And hopefully our audience enjoys the our future series of superpowers, but in the trenches, where again, Matt and I will be doing a weekly conversation on hot topics, themes, both relevant to our venture practice, our portfolio companies, macro, uh, things that we want to talk about. And this is the first of many. Matt, later, dude. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Superpowers Podcast Show, friends. Please be sure to check out superpowerspodcast.com or on Instagram, superpowerspod. Be sure to tell a friend, subscribe, like. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.